Hey everyone, we hope you're having a great week. My name is Eric Johnson, and along with my wife Candace, we are the lead pastors of Studio. We are based in Greenville, South Carolina, and we just want to take a moment and say hello and say thanks for listening to this podcast. So with that, let's get right to it. Just look at the bishop. Just, just check out the fit. Look at the outfit. So if you don't know, we call these things fits, okay? Like, man, I like your fit today. Look at this. I said, that's my pastor, the bishop, uh-huh. And it's, the B is for bishop, right? No, no. It's not. Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm excited to be here. Excited to be a part of Studio and what God's doing here. Greenville has just been such a beautiful treat for my life. And it's just amazing to see y'all's faces. Um, before I jump into the message I want us to do an activity now. If you were here at the last service, then you're going to be doing this again. If you're here for this first time, you're going to be like, what are you about to have me do? It's okay. I'm going to give instructions first, then we're going to stand and do this activity. Now, this is a connection activity, okay? It's a connection activity. What you're going to do is you're going to find a partner in the room, someone that you don't know very well or someone that you don't know at all, and you're going to look into their eyes for 15 seconds. Look, look at her face, she's like, what are you talking about? 15 seconds and you can't look away, okay? In acting, we do this exercise all the time, sometimes up to 60 seconds, 120 seconds, but you're, you can look in their eyes and you have permission. If it feels awkward, you have permission to laugh, okay? If it feels a little bit weird, it's okay. Just keep your gaze into that person's eyes, all right? You might have weird thoughts come into your brain or you might feel like, do they see that zit on my face? It's okay, just let the thought pass, okay? But the idea and the goal is just to hold that gaze for 15 seconds, okay? Can we do it? We can do it, all right? This is what I want you to do. When I say go, find a partner, and then once you have found a partner, both of you raise your hands and, and, and close your mouth, okay? Ready, set, go. Great, once you have a partner, raise your hand. Awesome, if you don't have a partner, all hands down. If you don't have a partner, raise your hand. Anyone still looking for a partner, everybody's good? All right, now let's let a hush fall over the room. We're getting ready to start. We're getting ready to start. Let's let a hush. I can feel the nervous energy, it's okay. It's gonna be okay. Are we ready? Now this is a silent activity, so we need silence. It's a silent activity. Oh, somebody's like, time's up. No, we haven't even started yet. <laughs> Here we go. And begin. 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9. Three, two, one, zero. You did good! High five or hug the person, get their name, and then go back to your seats. <laughs> I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. How was that for you? If you got 
guys could give me some popcorn responses, one to three words, how was that for you? Awkward, Jesse. <laughs> how was that for you? Fun, someone said fun? What'd you say? Amazing, amazing. Who else, how was that for you? It was good. Transformative, wow, I love that. How was that? Two more people, how was that for you? Surprisingly intimate, yeah, yeah. It's good to see you, Carrie Jo. Yeah. Anybody over here? I didn't hear from someone over here. How was that for you? You said intense, yeah. I was looking around the room and I noticed people were like gazing and then going, I can't look at this person or maybe it's that you can't let them see you. You know that feeling of being seen and being known? I wanted us to do that exercise because I wanted us to start off today's moments together with connection with connection. Sometimes we just have the busyness of life and moving to and fro and, and, and we forget that practice of presence to presence, your presence and my presence, God's presence. And when I think about my own salvation journey and how God has rescued me, it's because he saw me. He looked into my soul and he said, I want you. I want you to be my daughter. And I said, I want you too, Father. I want to be with you. But there's also this vertical, well, this is a vertical reality, but there's a horizontal reality that we must live. And that's also seeing one another, being with one another. And today I'm going to finish up a message I started a few months ago on the reformation of belonging. Okay, this is part two to the reformation of belonging. Um, it's something I'm extremely passionate about. It's something that I would, I will stand two-footed and say, I believe God is doing this in our day in the body of Christ. It is something that if we would yield our lives to, we're going to see something so beautiful, even generations of people before us have never seen. I honestly believe that. Now, the last time I talked about the Reformation of Belonging, just to give you a quick little recap, we talked about the history of Reformation. That particular word, Reformation, it means to form again, to form or shape again, which means you have to think about the idea of you've already been formed or shaped at one point or another to, in order for it to happen again. Now, the word Reformation was popularized by Martin Luther, and we're not gonna go all the way back to that history again because Eric did an incredible job of breaking that down. So go back and listen to his messages about how we got here, <laughs> how we got to where we are now. Today, we're gonna take a turn and go, where are we going? Where is God taking us? I believe that when God moves in time, he moves in our personal lives, he moves in culture, in the, in the earth, in the world, and he moves in his church, the actual vehicle that he says, you are going to represent me and take me to the world. We talked about Zacchaeus as well in the first part of Reformation of Belonging. Zacchaeus, this, what, I don't know if y'all remember that song as a kid. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up, see y'all know the song, right? Zacchaeus, this little wee little short little man who was a tax collector, meaning ooh, you were somebody that you did not want to be friends with if you were a tax collector because many of the tax collectors at that time took advantage of people to make them pay more than they actually owed. And so he was someone who heard about Jesus, climbed up in a sycamore tree because he was too short to be able to see him, but he didn't realize that not only would he see Jesus, but Jesus would see him. Jesus calls him down and says, I'm going to your house, which was not the custom of the day, okay? You were not supposed to, in the Jewish tradition, sit with sinners like Zacchaeus. 
But Jesus is like, that's all right. Not only am I going to sit at a table, I'm going to sit at your table. Probably the same table you're counting their money on. Ooh. I'm going to sit at your table. And in that moment, Zacchaeus is transformed. Jesus did not control him to transform him. He loved him. He saw him. He probably did the 15-second exercise that you all just did. (laughs) And Zacchaeus in this moment is a picture not just of the people we're to sit with, but we were also once Zacchaeus sitting and needing to be seen by Jesus. I ended the Reformation of Belonging, uh, the first message, opening up this idea that I believe there is an aspect of God's nature that he is pouring out on the church to embody to the world in our day, and that is belonging. That is something that has kind of atrophied in the body over years, specifically the Western church. And I believe that God is saying, I'm going to place emphasis on that in this season. And that is what gets me so excited. I'm just going to pray real quick, and then we're going to jump into part two. God, (laughs) have your way. We yield and we surrender to you right now. I just ask God for a grace, a specific grace for this season, for such a time as this, that we would be able to walk out your vision and your heart for our generation. In Jesus' name, amen. I used to live in Redding, California, and um, I used to joke because I'm like, am I really still in California? I used to live in Los Angeles before I moved to Redding. Los Angeles is Southern California. Redding is Northern California. And I said, ain't nothing California about Redding. It looks like Oregon up here. <laughs> the trees even change and, it, and it's strange weather and it's just different. But if you go three hours to the coast, you'll get to this place where there are redwood trees. Anybody ever visited and seen some big old redwood trees? Yeah, we got a lot of people in here. You probably got that like great picture where you're standing up to, to the redwood and you look like an ant in, next to this, this huge tree. Redwoods are fascinating to me. Uh, they are on average at least 300 feet tall. Some can get up to 350 feet tall. Okay, I don't really know scale that well, but just know that I'm five feet two inches. And so we're talking about 350 feet, right? As wide as it can get, it can get maybe 20 to 22 feet wide. Hello. That's a very big tree. Now, the cool thing about redwood trees is that they actually are formed, shaped, they grow in tribes. They grow in groves where they actually thrive by being in high abundance and number close to each other, kind of like a little community. Their roots from their trees can go out maybe 50 feet to 100 feet further away from their trunk. And the crazy thing is they interlace and intertwine with other redwood trees' roots. So interconnected. Now, what's so dope about them interconnecting, too, is that when the winds blow, they don't because they're bonded together. When the rains blow, they just soak it all up, but it doesn't affect them because they're joined together. Even the nutrients that they carry, they can pass between each other and receive nutrients from one another. I look at this picture of redwood trees and I think of the body of Christ. I think of us, the family of God, this this picture of God intertwining and connecting us. Because number one, if you look at God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that's the picture of them. The Godhead operating in a community together, not just 
individually God, but community God. It might sound a little bit mysterious. It is a mystery. It's like, how do we understand that? Well, sometimes you have to kind of look at how you're made, right? You are a body, but you are a spirit and you have a soul. Like it's kind of three in one. I don't just go, Carrie Joe, I'm going to talk to the body right now. Just body Carrie Joe. Soul and spirit don't listen. <laughs> no, we talk to the fullness of, of who she is and the fullness of who you are. God is expressed as that three in one, but he creates and created everything from that same image, from an image of community. The body of Christ is a body that should reflect Christ himself. If Christ is an entity, a being, a, 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 a God of belonging, we should be as well. We should carry the essence and the texture of belonging to the world. Now, when you look at uh, who we are as a people, just humans, right? Sometimes we don't actually look like God, even though we were made in the image of God. And when I say look like God, I'm talking about our behaviors, right? And we saw a whole bunch of that pop off in 2020, right? I said, man, this is an interesting mirror. I got all kinds of boogers. <laughs> I got all kinds of scratches, blemishes. We are not looking too good. I don't feel like God is actually angry at the church. I feel like God is just saying, get ready. He's inviting us into something. His grace is sufficient. He's, he's not beating us up, but, but he is requiring something of us. And when I think about requirements, I, my teaching and educational days, um, I remember we were going tit for tat with some of our, our teachers uh, who were kind of not having great expectations for the students. I taught in an inner city school, seventh through 12th grade, and um, really, really bad behavior issues, high gang activity, high poverty rates, high um, 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 orphan rates and things like that. And I remember many of the teachers, because they were in such despair, they would walk into the classrooms and just think they can't do it. They just, they just can't do it because they were watching their behaviors and just believing that they were the, the, the fullness of their behaviors. But then there were some teachers that were like, no, if you go in there and you require it of them, they are going to feel you believe in them. And, and so some of us would use that as an experiment. I would go into my classroom and I would go, listen, let me tell you who you are. You are, and I would have this whole little lecture <laughs> trying to encourage them that I see you. And what did you, what'd you expect? What did you guess? By the end of the year, they were handling their work. They were performing. They were, I taught drama. They were performing huge monologues that you would have not even imagined because the expectation was there drew them into a higher sense of identity. That's what God does with us. He has expectations of us not to look at us and say, I'm defining you by your behavior. He's going, no, 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 no. This is what I expect of you. This is what I believe you can do. And I'm calling you into a higher identity. It's a hard moment, though, because we have so many things pulling us in different directions, right? We have things pulling us in the directions of teams, right? Republican and Democrat. Liberal and conservative. Trump 2024 and Black Lives Matter. Right? We have all these things pulling us into opposite sides that make us think that's the way we got to do it. But that's not his ways. His ways would look like yeast, get among all of them and represent the father. To come off your, 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 your sides of your teams and come in to belonging. I want to talk about what does form us. Because formation is a huge part of reformation. And before we can even get to talking about what God's forming us into, we have to kind of look at what we are currently 
formed into just living in a Western society. If we don't acknowledge that part, recognize that part, then we can't steward the parts that don't look like Jesus and the parts that do look like Jesus. Like we have to be honest, like really, really honest with ourselves just to say, okay, there are some things in our countries, in our societies, in our ideologies that might be good ideas, but not God ideas that might be incredible philosophies for a specific window of time, but don't always birth the ways of Jesus. Or that could be extremely toxic just out the gate and I don't even realize it seeped into my own being. It's kind of like a fish that, that wakes up one day, it wakes up in a pool of water, it is in a body of water. There are certain things in our world that we're living in right now that's like the air we breathe or the water that we drink. It just, it, it just is. So I wanna take a look at some of those things, like what is forming us? Because we have to understand we're all being formed by something. We are all being formed by something. And, and when you look at Reformation, again, it's being shaped or formed again, and Jesus as perfect theology, we have to measure all of these things that have been forming us against him as the rubric. Are these things making me look like him? Because if they're not, I gotta let them go. If they're not, I gotta question and investigate that. If they're not, it's gotta come under because he's king. Here's the funny thing about a kingdom, it's not a democracy. You don't get a vote. <laughs> Ain't no amendments. Ain't no such thing. When the king speaks, he creates. When the king speaks, it becomes law. But his laws are perfect. And they're for our benefit. They're for our thriving. So let's look at some things that man has made that are forming us. Now, when I say these things, I'm going to be taking a look at Western society, but I'm not judging Western society from a standpoint of saying she's condemned and she's horrible, okay? I just want us to look at it to, to healthily scrutinize it as we measure it up against Jesus, because these are the things that are forming us, that have created and birthed a version of us that doesn't always carry belonging, okay? Something that is forming us is Speed. Mm. Speed, right? Faster, 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 faster. Rushing, hurrying, leg always shaking. Impatient at the stoplight. I don't feel like I've done enough of my life yet. I'm, I, I need to get there faster. Why haven't I done this, 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 and this yet? I wanna, I wanna be 30 under 30. Put me on the 30 under 30 list. Speed, right? I, uh, in reading this book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he, John Mark Comer breaks down this uh, understanding of when the world really changed in the area of speed is at the creation of the light bulb. Because at the creation of the light bulb, such an incredible invention, but its shadow side is that we stopped sleeping in the rhythms of God. We started sleeping in our own rhythms of work and labor and effort, which brings me to my second one, hyper-productivity. <laughs> Now, there's a beautiful thing called work, and we all should be working. Working is a part of our identity. But there's a thing about Western culture that has a hyper-productivity, kind of driven by capitalism, that communicates to us, I work for my value. I work for my significance. If I haven't done this much work, then who am I? Hashtag no days off, on my grind, right? There's a hyper-productivity. And these particular things become very antithetical to rest. Be, presence, 
Another aspect is individualism. Individualism is a very beautiful thing. I love, I, as a matter of fact, when I was a third grader, the word individuality was my favorite word. I would be like, I-N-D-I-V-I-D-U-A-L-I-T-Y. I would just, <laughs> I love that word. That word was my favorite. And there's something beautiful about it, right? You get to be you and who God has designed you to be. But it's shadow side when you are only focused on you is you don't know how to bring yourself to the community how to join as a body. It always becomes only about you. And you don't know how to sacrifice for others. In Western culture, because we have such an individualistic thinking, we oftentimes will view all the communal things as socialism or collectivism or Marxism. And there are some political entanglements with that, but there is a particular principle in God's view of family that has a communal expression and individualism is not the pinnacle. It's not the only expression. Other things that are forming us uh, is institution, the concept of institution. In fact, when I think about institution, I think about the assembly line that was formed with, uh, with the Model T Ford and being able to create a very efficient way of producing a specific product. But then we also pull back and we create really huge institutions to focus on particular problems in society, to get a specific outcome. The way that that forms us as a church is many of us have given over our personal discipleship responsibility to institutions. We've given it over to, to the church to have the outreach department, and I never do outreach. We've given it over to the government to bring in the orphans through foster care, and I never get with the orphans. Again, this is not to indict us, just to look at what's forming us. Technology is also something that's forming us. And, and the access that we have because of technology. It is incredible to be able to get on your, your smartphone. I was looking at this meme and it was of a caveman going, what is this stick they're walking around with? <laughs> and I was cracking up, I'm like, yeah, that's probably what it would look like to somebody from years ago. They're like, we're walking around with a stick, looking at a stick all day like this. I'm walking around with a computer in my hand. That is insane to me and it's pretty cool, right? But also I'm here and I'm not doing that 15 second gaze into your eyes. And it feels weird to be seen like that because we've lost the practice of seeing one another because we're so engrossed and wrapped into technology. Another thing that's formed us are other voices, politics, philosophies, pain, these voices that have become so noisy. And because we don't have a practice of slowing ourselves down to hear God's still small voice, we can't tell which voice is God and which voice is not. Another thing that's forming us is just our history, the history of, of, of Western culture and how it's come to be. Specifically in the United States, this was a colonialistic um, country. It, it was founded upon colonialism, meaning there is a conquering mindset that has been ingrained into the thinking. So when you put conquering and the gospel together, ooh, it can create a very interesting tension that doesn't look like yeast coming under to belong and pull people into the kingdom. It looks like lording over to control and make people morally do what I feel is the right way to do things. So these things have shaped us and molded us, um, but I wanna encourage us about like God's principle though of how we can be transformed out of that. There is, <coughs> excuse me, a a principle, a kingdom principle that I believe, like a, a spiritual principle of how transformation actually happens. I want to read Romans 12, 2. 
says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That word conform in the Greek, because this scripture was originally um, translated from the Greek text. It is, now I'm gonna probably mess this up, so all the Greek people just come see me afterwards, okay? (laughs) Suske matizo. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. It means assuming a similar outward form expression by following the same pattern. That's the word conform. So God is saying, don't be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed by picking up that pattern of the world, by letting that shape you into its expression but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This word transformed is metamorpho. It's where we get the word metamorphosis from. It means changing form in keeping with inner reality, transformed after being with. So transformation comes through your mind being renewed. Here's a spiritual principle though. It's not just transformation only comes when you're with God. Transformation comes period according to whatever you renew your mind towards. So if you are renewing your mind towards the five o'clock news, and that is what you are walking with, that is what will transform you. If you are walking with the very red letters and words of Jesus, that is what will transform you. And you will begin to take on that particular expression. Again, we're all being formed by something. I want to challenge us all to pause and think about what is forming us. What are we eating on every single day? dwelling on, worrying about, soaking in. What TikTok videos do we share and go, oh, you see this? Because something's forming us. It's, it's how God's designed for the human psyche to happen. Whatever you walk with, you begin to look like. Scripture actually says, how can two walk together lest they agree? So when you begin to walk with something, you begin to agree with that thing. So therefore you begin to become it. Now, the reformation of belonging is just that. It is a becoming journey. There's no arrival in this. I wanna just like take the pressure off because I'm not looking for experts in here, okay? I'm gonna be honest, I'm not an expert at this. I've just heard the call, oh, this is what you're doing? Well, let me get my house in order because we're bringing some Zacchaeuses over, right? So no experts, but people who are willing, people who are surrendered, people who are saying, I will walk with and walk in agreement with. This is the power of transformation when we walk with Jesus. And when we walk with Jesus, literally Jesus told us, I'm the light of the world. But then he turned around and said, you're the light of the world. And he said, as I am, so are you in the world. And if he is someone that says something like, I come, me and my father come to make a home in you, then Jesus is in the business of making a home. But then if he goes, as I am, so are you, then we should be in the business of making a home for people to come and feel the very presence of God, the connection of God, the belonging aspect of his nature. There's a very simple um, walking with that I love for those that like practical and simple. John Mark Comer says this about being disciples and apprentices. Uh, Just be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. Do what Jesus would do if he was with you. That sounds really, really simple. Again, we got things pulling us in different directions. So that's the part where we have to go, pull me back into being with Jesus. 
that I would not let the speed of the world form me away from him. Pull me back into becoming like Jesus, that I would let myself get on your potter's will, that you would mold me even when it's ugly, even when I don't understand it, even when I'm like, but God, this doesn't make any sense. Have you seen the recession that's coming? (laughs) He's like, let me still mold you in generosity and not scarcity. And being with Jesus in a way where we start to do what he does as if he's standing right next to us, with us, because he's in all, through all. To be reformed, we do have to have a mindset, though, of reclaiming the form that we lost. These things that I'm describing, the early church actually walked very deeply in. They were known to be extremely hospitable. They were known to literally, if they heard you were crossing through and you were a believer of God, they would break open their homes and make you a pallet and you would be welcomed. And they didn't know your first, middle, or last name. Now, we do live in a day where I'm like, some folks is out here, they a little crazy. You know, I don't know. You know some of y'all been watching these serial killer movies and, and we get too much in our head, right? So I'm not saying be reckless and, and unwise, but there is this texture of belonging that the early church carried that anybody who was in their midst, God got on them. God got on them and they were able to feel the spirit of adoption. That's actually what brought us all into the kingdom. The spirit of adoption. There's a scripture that says, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father, through the spirit of adoption. The word adoption, it means to bring someone in as your family, as if they were your own, yet they were not born from you. To legally make them a son or a daughter. What if we carried that essence to the world? When when they felt us, they felt family. I want to break down four key Um, what I'm calling like an emphasis, emphases of what I do believe God is wanting to reform the church to look like. Now, I do believe there are a few other elements working on some materials to get this out, but these are four that I'm going to talk about today that I want us to sink our teeth into. The first one is discipleship, us becoming the body. Now, there's two parts to this. There is a need or reclaiming that we need to have for posturing ourselves as disciples, apprentices of Jesus, not members of a church, not congregants, not spectators, right? We've gotten really used to that, and it worked for a period of time, but God's like, hey, new season, disciples, apprentices. And an apprentice looks at a master and says, teach me your craft, I want to mold and make and do things like you do. So teach me, because I don't know what, 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 what I'm doing. And the master pours into them teachings, wisdoms, skills. They practice. They give them feedback, all these things. The same way Jesus molded the kingdom into the disciples who became the apostles. There is a posturing that we all have to choose to go, God, is there any place in my life where I have chosen to just be someone who captured information about the kingdom, but I stopped allowing myself to be formed? Is there any place in my life where I, I, I shifted over to just a member who attends and not a disciple who deeply learns and is allowing myself to be transformed to look like you? The second part of the discipleship is to be people who make disciples. Now, this is what it's been for like maybe the past 50 years. When we meet someone, we love them. We just like, oh my gosh, you should come to my church. Come to church with me. And we bring them to church and we hope that the pastor is talking about something that they would understand. And we hope that the prayer was spot on, that they get a solid prophetic word or something so that their soul could be saved. You have the kingdom of God inside of you. 
You can share with them about faith. You can lead them to Jesus and you can show them as much as you know. You don't have to be an expert to be a disciple maker. You just got to teach them at least as much as you already got. And as you continue to grow, you get a little bit more to show them, a little bit more to tell them, right? But we're disciples who make disciples. It's been commanded by God. Now, this is the great commission that I'm about to read, not the great suggestion, okay? It's the great commission. This is Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is Jesus saying, go and make disciples. Here's what's cool about this scripture. The word make is so interesting on the lips of a carpenter. Jesus was a carpenter. Go and make disciples. As a carpenter, he knew the feeling of putting his hands to wood, feeling the chip blades fly on his face and wiping it off the residue of what he's molding and how it would soon become the thing that he saw in his eye. The commitment to the work in front of him. Where we have kind of conformed to the world is we've created assembly lines of discipleship. No longer are we hands in the work molding people. We're just inviting them to church and hopefully it will assemble in a way where they will get it. But God is saying, you are the light of the world. You are the ones to be making disciples. And many of you have probably been feeling disqualified in that area. I'm not ordained. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a pastor. It doesn't matter if you're a preacher. If you have the light of Christ inside of you, you have something powerful to give away. Something powerful to give away. And this is something that we must reclaim because it's ours. The next thing is fellowship. This is another aspect of the reformation of belonging. Fellowship is bonding with the body. Acts 2.42 says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. This is right after the day of Pentecost where Jesus has said, listen, I got to go. Um, my, my job here is done. Tag team, Holy Spirit's it. And um, he's going to lead and guide you into all truth. He's also going to give you power, so you need to go get ready because he's coming, okay? So this is what they were doing. They were going to get ready. They went up to this upper room, and they were praying and waiting on the Holy Spirit. And he showed up, and he showed out. <laughs> and he thwacked them with so much power and glory. People were speaking in literally another language. It's a mystery. I don't, I don't understand it myself. I've seen it, but I don't understand it. And they're speaking in this language. And just as Jesus said that they would lead and guide them into all truth, where is the place that the Holy Spirit led them? into fellowship with one another. There is a truth that exists in the bonding and embracing of the body. And the Holy Spirit is leading us into that. Now, fellowship and discipleship are two different things. It feels similar because it has a similar ethos in that we are a part of someone's spiritual journey. But fellowship is where iron sharpens iron, where you get to belong alongside other believers and you get to happen. Now, the word fellowship in the Greek there is koinonia, where we get the word community from, that breaks down an understanding of how we can even provide for one another's needs because we are so jointly knit together. But the, the masculine term koinonos, where koinonia comes from, I wanna highlight this. It means to belong as a joint participant. Hmm, that's a different kind of belonging. 
as a joint participant, not a spectator, a participator, that there's something in you that we want to see activated and happening and flowing through the body. Because if you're stagnant, I'm stagnant. If life ain't flowing through you and we're joint, joined together as a body, then that means something's dying if life stops flowing. So there is a participatory thing that happens in fellowship and in being back as a part of the body, bonding with the body. The third thing is accountability. Ooh, yeah. Now this word. <laughs> it comes with its own sets of connotation, right? Most people in here, we automatically went to the negative. But I want us to think about even the positive side of accountability. I love Chris Vallotton's definition of accountability. It's not just an account for your disability, it's an account for your ability. Because, because we have lacked discipleship and getting people molded into the image of Jesus, and because we have lacked a lot of fellowship where people have been in a place of bonding with Jesus, that means people have been hiding in the back pews of places and have not been able to have the gold pulled out of them. That would, would oftentimes happen by me looking at you going, you know, it's been three years now and you've been talking about this book. You know, every time you start talking about that ministry, you get on fire. What's stopping you from starting it? There's something on you, and I see it. You have something in you to help orphans and widows, and I'm not going to let you hide in the back pew. Many of us, and I'm not saying that you're not happening because nobody's called it out of you, but I'm saying the more we are bonded together, it's hard to stop it from happening. It, it sets a fire in your soul and a fire that gets off of you and onto the next person and together as the body of Christ emerging and immersing culture with the ethos and texture of belonging, the people will see the Father. Another thing that I want to say about accountability is it's also um, interesting, 2020 was, whew, 2020 was an interesting time and, and after, and maybe even a little bit before, because we started seeing a lot of our beloved um, fathers, esteemed leaders in different church movements have these huge moral failures, right? We've seen a lot of that, where many have just um, fallen short, maybe through an affair or through something financial. Um, and it's broken a lot of people's hearts. It's caused a lot of division, a lot of splits from churches and a lot of, of chaos and aftermath to kind of clean up. I was talking to the Lord about this one day and he said, Tanasha, um, I don't want you just pointing your finger at the head because if the heads are rolling, then something's wrong with the neck. It's like, ooh. He said, if something's wrong with the neck, then that means the body is sick. And I come to heal the body. And in thinking about that, I recognize and I pull back most times when even myself as a pastor and others who are in places of ministry, you, we often in Western culture create hierarchical structures that have very thin belonging at the top. And a lot of these failures are because of a lack of belonging because they too didn't have someone to see them and know them, to embrace them when cer certain things were, were coming in seed form, to speak life into them, to call them back into a place of what health would look like. What would it look like if we extended our roots out like the redwoods? Before anybody could get too far gone, we're like, ooh, you're mine. I'm going to send nutrients to you because I'm connected to you. I'm not judging you. I'm connected to you. But then what happens if somebody does get shaken? If somebody does fall, they still belong to me. That is still my brother. That is still my sister. What would it look like to restore them? To bless them and not cancel them because that's conforming to the world. 
to come around them. Now, we do understand that some people may not choose that path. They may actually push themselves away from the body, but I bet you for every one that would push themselves away, there might be five or six that would come in close if we would be the ones there to receive them. If we would be the ones there making home for them, going, brother, you're still my brother, and I see you, and God sees you, and I'm coming to your house today. Another aspect, and this will be the last one for the four that I'm going to break down today, is the least of these. I'm going to read this scripture from Matthew 25, verses 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick in prison, sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. The word least here is how society measures people's positions right? We would see somebody like a president of a country, like, whoa, they're in this high place. But then a homeless person on the side of the street, they're in what we would call a lesser place in society, in the social construct. God sees all that and he goes, all my children. But the ones that are in these margins and on the fringes, oftentimes we, we have this complex where we don't want to get close, where we oftentimes want to create barriers to make it make sense to us, right? Or to, what I would even say, appease our own levels of comfort within us to, um, um, what's the word, um, convince ourselves why we shouldn't get close, right? So we'll make it political. I shouldn't get close because did you not hear that? And then you'll, you know, whatever the Democratic script is or Republican script is for that particular thing, instead of just going over and taking a plate, instead of talking about socialism, right? Or where we may not want to get close to what's happening with, with um, marginalized individuals at the border. And I've been seeing some incredible testimonies of the body of Christ just going down, praying for people, feeding people, getting close and hearing stories. The least of these, he's literally saying, what you've done to them, you've done to me. The early church walked heavily in this. So beautifully being able to get up close and not believing that the cooties would get on them. Because greater is he that's within you than he that's in the world. We, if we walk into those margins carrying belonging, then the spirit of adoption will woo them into a place to recognize they too are a child. Whether it be in the margins at the abortion clinics, whether it be in the margins with individuals who may not understand their particular identity and they're tra- changing back and forth. What, whatever it may be, going and being in proximity to people, loving people carrying the very essence of belonging that when they're around you, they think family. Very quick story. When I was teaching, (laughs) um, as a first year teacher in the hood, we didn't have no money. So (laughs) we couldn't just go and pay for the rights to do some like really huge production. So I had to write something because there was no way we were gonna do something that was like free rights, like Shakespeare. They would not understand Shakespeare. Like I don't barely understand Shakespeare. I'm like, doth, D-O-T-A, what are you talking about? So I had to write something. So I wrote this play called Residue. 
And it was about a young African-American man who was killed in a drive-by shooting and how the community responded in the aftermath. Now, I had to create sets and all kinds of things to bring these kids into an experience that they had never been a part of before. What I did not realize was that the very belonging of God was going to pour through this particular production. Some of us, we are actually just one step away from embodying the belonging of God in a space or a place just whenever we start to build something. Whenever we start to just take, put some wind on the ideas he's already given us. So I'm just putting on this particular production and, and one day as I'm getting prepared to go into, um, into the rehearsals, my door busts open and in paces one of my students. And he had like some scratch marks on his neck and I'm scared because I'm thinking, he's gonna probably hit me if I get too close. He is really enraged right now. So I'm standing back, letting him calm down. And when I was finally able to find out what happened, he told me that he was being hit and beaten from other students from one side of the building all the way to my room, but he refused to fight back because he had to be in the play. Now, I had made every single student sign a contract saying no fights, no Fs, <laughs> in order to be in this particular production. And he was like, I can't get into a fight. I have to be able to do this play. This is my family. I did not realize that the camaraderie and the connection that was happening at rehearsals was becoming a home for him, a place where he was seen a place where he was known, a place where he could happen, a place where he could explore, a place where he could fail and get back up and try again, a place where he could play. What was crazy about this production, because this school was just always on 10, <laughs> literally could not get them to calm down in any school assembly, but when we did this play, you couldn't, hear, you couldn't hear anything in the room. A pin could drop, and it would be the loudest thing in the space. And there were sniffles and there were tears, and you could feel things happening, but you just didn't know what, because everybody too was like, I gotta be hard, I can't, I can't be crying. Well, later throughout the weeks, I noticed this particular student being treated very differently in the hallways. He played this character named Scrubs, who was the um, janitor in the, in the play, and people would see him down the hall, what up, Scrubs? And they would pause and talk to him and act like he was a celebrity. How'd you memorize all those lines? Oh my gosh, you were so good up there. I could never do that. And I asked him at towards the end of the school year if he ever experienced something like he experienced that day when he ran into my room. And he says, no, I haven't experienced anything like that since. The bullying had stopped. Something about the, the moment of him being in this place of belonging, he experienced belonging in a unit, but then the belonging got on the entire school and they were able to receive him for who he was. I believe that's the body of Christ. That's us. The people who create vehicles for belonging, that people would be able to come in and that also other people who see would also be able to participate with the very, the very ethos of belonging. It is a becoming journey. I want to encourage us again in that. And to close with this, this becoming journey is a pathway. It's a practice. It is not an arrival point. It is not something that you try to perform to get an A at. It is a rhythm you try to find yourself, pulling yourself into and practicing day by day that you would become more and more and more like Jesus. The first aspect of this pathway is repentance. We have to change our thinking. We have to change the way we think. Literally repentance, it doesn't just mean like, be sorrowful, Psh, I condemn you. No, it means, woo. Thank you for this off-ramp, because I've been going the wrong way for a bit of some time now, and I want to change directions. 
And we get to get off on this off-ramp now as a generation, and we get to go back and reclaim some things. The second part of this pathway is that we have to return and reclaim the elements for our own individual hearts and our priorities. That's gonna be the part that challenges us, right? Especially in an American society where we have our American dream and our American priorities. I've been in this particular place as an entrepreneur going, do my priorities line up with the kingdoms? I want to make sure that they do. The third thing is integration and risk. We have to let God form us in this and start integrating it into our lives, into how we spend time with people, into how we step out and try new things, how we get up close and personal with what's going on in our actual cities. And it's going to be risky. Here's, here's, here's the, the, um, the, the, the element that's gonna crack all of our faces. It's going to be messy. Everybody wants a nice polished version of the gospel. It doesn't exist. It didn't exist with Jesus. Why would it exist with us? Jesus himself, literally, they would call him, you're, you're with the sinners, and thought he too was a sinner because he was communing with sinners, which means some of us are gonna have to put our reputations on the line. You might be misunderstood. You might be seen as one of them. But I pray for the day where we get rid of that language, that we would even see a them, that we would carry belonging. It's going to be messy, but God's okay with mess. Look at birth. <laughs> he's okay with mess for beauty. And that's what he's doing now. He is birthing beauty. Lastly, replication and multiplication. <laughs> that means we've got to be willing to replicate this in our lives through making disciples, through building vehicles that are going to bring people into belonging. I just feel this in my spirit right now. I just keep hearing it. There's someone in this room that has a business idea that you have not moved on yet. And I feel like the Lord is saying in this last few months of this year, it's time to get the business plan together. I don't know who that's for, but it's time to get the business plan together. It is one of the vehicles that is going to create such belonging and such beauty for people in this particular region. And, and many of you that are sitting in spaces like that, your replication and multiplication of God's kingdom is going to look like discipling people in business. It's going to put his values and systems into this earth. It's going to be beautiful. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I want to land you with some homework. <laughs> Actually, let me go to some resources first. For those of you that want to go deeper in this, um, I bless your journey of learning. Because to be apprentices of Jesus, we have to be willing to go after some things. Um, seeking the kingdom of God is, uh, is a part of our responsibility um, as apprentices of Jesus. And he rewards those who diligently seek him. And these books have really helped me in this particular area. So I'm just going to be sharing these books with you. Um, the first one is The Deeply Formed Life by Rich Viodas. Beautiful, beautiful book. Oh, that's spelled incorrectly. V-O-D-A-S. V-I-L-L-O-D-A-S. Um, he is a lead pastor at the church that Pete Scacero used to pastor. And he wrote the book, The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Um, incredible book that helps break down formation. Another book is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. I gave a message on um, rest before and gave this book as a recommendation, but he really helps us return and reclaim the sacredness of the rhythms of God. I heard a great theologian say, sometimes we need to learn to slow down to catch up with God. <laughs> the rhythms of God that are not the rhythms of our world, and that book has greatly helped me embrace Sabbath. Um, and then The Jesus Tribe by Ronnie McBrayer. It's it's understanding how to be countercultural in the day's culture. 
and the, and the day's culture looks a little bit more like empire than it does like the gospel. And so there's some challenges in that. That one, I'll be honest, it has a bit of a bite, okay? You can't say I didn't warn you. So if you read that particular book, just know, put, put on a, a posture of receiving and hearing God and take the Holy Spirit on that journey with you. Homework, because I come to activate, because we are going to be participants, amen? That was fast, amen, from you. Reflection, um, you can pick one or you can do all of these, but I would challenge every single person here to do something, okay, so that you can be formed into Jesus in these ways. The first one's really easy. Just cut out, carve out some time to reflect and journal about your life in these areas of belonging, in the area of belonging through discipleship, fellowship, accountability, least of these, okay? Um, I, I know that most of us, we're ready to like take action, but some of us need to stop and just take inventory first before we take action. Secondly, you can do a connection exercise. Back to the tables it has been a prophetic word that was released over, over studio, that we would be a movement that gets back to the tables. So let's do that. I challenge you to connect with other believers and have a meal and a discussion on belonging. And if you're really wild, have a discussion with non-believers. <laughs> Lastly, you can, do, you can choose this homework, serving. Find a place to volunteer and serve the least of these. I recognize that the, the uh, muscles of the church right now have atrophied, where we're not really strong and moving in those areas because we're no longer in proximity. Jesus was compelled by compassion. But if you're not in proximity, the compassion doesn't ever turn on. When we get in proximity with loving the least of these, you'll find yourself looking like Jesus because what breaks his heart will break your heart. Those are three elements of homework. Who's going to do that challenge? Who's going to do one of those? I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And for those that didn't raise their hands, just know inside of me I have words for you. Let's go ahead and stand. <laughs> I am excited about the future of the church. The reason why I recognize this as belonging, the Lord didn't actually give me the word belonging for this particular reformation until he walked me through components that he said, I want the church to reclaim these things. And when I looked at fellowship and discipleship and accountability and the least of these, I said, the common theme is belonging. That is the common thread of those particular aspects that God is saying, I want the church to be really, really good at this in this particular hour. When I look at how polarized today is, it makes sense. There's literally no other way. There's no other way we're going to be able to be yeast in this land unless we carry belonging. Because otherwise we'll go in constantly dividing, pillaging, fighting, trying to conquer in order to see our way happen as the way. But even in the, in the days of Jesus, when the empire was trying to have its way, here he was over here going, this heart, this man, this woman. And he was so close and so intimate with people that it brought them into a very different reality and birthed the kingdom in tangible form. And that is the work that we get to do. I want to read this poem over us as we go. It's called Belonging. May we not just belong but learn to belong to each other. Reciprocity of humanity is written in the coding of the Trinity. Giving, receiving, holding, surrendering, becoming, belonging. Written in our DNA, wired in our longing to be and to be long. 
let no one deceive you. This was not just the prize, but the promise all along. God, I thank you that you haven't stopped speaking. I thank you that you actually want this more than we want this. I thank you that you haven't taken your hands off of us and you are still molding us, that you are still believing in us, you're still calling us higher, that you're beautifying us. I thank you that you're equipping us in this season to reclaim things that the saints that are now in the cloud of witnesses walked so mightily in. And you're also calling us higher to clean, clean and cleanse things that didn't get cleansed in the previous generations. God, we surrender. We say yes. And I ask God for just a very specific and unique grace that we would be able to see it with clarity, that we would be able to choose into it, that the parts of us that want to, want to retreat back into self-preservation, that you would help us recognize the freedom that we walk in as sons and daughters of God. I ask God that you would anoint us, smear us with belonging, that everywhere we go, people would feel the tangible spirit of adoption and want to know our Abba Father. We love you, Lord. And, and bless Studio that we would be a community of people that whenever anyone talks about us, the word belonging is on their lips. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope this talk benefits you in every way possible. For more information about Studio, you can go to studiogreenville.com or go to Instagram and look for studio.greenville. We would also love it if you would leave a review and hit those five stars. Other than that, have a great week and we'll see you soon.